Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I wonder how much money do you think you need to feel wealthy? How much money do you need to feel wealthy? I mean, I wonder, are, you, are you currently happy with your level of income right now? Or do you think maybe you could do with an extra 5000 to be comfortable? Or maybe an extra 10000 a year to be comfortable? Maybe it's an extra 20000 How much more do you think you need to feel comfortably well off? Uh, Nick Stansbury sent me an article uh, earlier this year by Fidelity Investments, and they surveyed uh, 1,000 households, um, all of them millionaires, who had an average of $3.5 million to invest. And uh, they asked them how they felt. 42% of them said that they did not feel wealthy, that they would need about $7.5 million. Uh, to feel wealthy. Our whole economy is going through an enormous hangover, isn't it? As we come to terms with uh, the massive debt crisis uh, of us as individuals, of governments, of nations. And I would say that the debt crisis is a fairly major indicator to us that most of us feel that we need just a little bit more than what we've got right now. Uh, we want a bigger home, we want a nicer car, we want better gadgets, we want more disposable income. And cheap credit promised that we could actually have it before we ever saved up for it. And now we're recovering from all of that. How much do we need? Well, what does God have to say to us? Well, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Ecclesiastes. And... Uh, Turn to page 671. I'm going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 8, uh, through to chapter 6, verse 9. If you see the poor oppressed in a district... And justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet whether he eats little or much. But the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son, there is nothing left for him. Naked, a man comes from his mother's womb, 
And as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This too is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Then I realized what, that what then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him for this is his lot moreover when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them to accept his lot and be happy in his work this is a gift of God he seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart I've seen another evil under the sun and it weighs heavily on men God gives a man wealth possessions and honor so that he lacks nothing his heart desires but God does not enable him to enjoy them and a stranger enjoys them instead this is meaningless a grievous evil a man may have a hundred children and live many years yet no matter how long he lives if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial I say that a stillborn child is better off than he it comes without meaning it departs in darkness and in darkness its name is shrouded though it never saw the sun or knew anything it has more rest than does that man even if he lives in a thousand years twice over but fails to enjoy his prosperity do not all go to the same place all man's efforts are for his mouth yet his appetite is never satisfied what advantage is a wise man over a fool what does a proper man gain by knowing how to conduct himself before others better what the eye sees than the roving of his appetite of the appetite this too is meaningless a chasing after the wind this is God's word now keep your Bibles open if you're visiting us today then know we're working through the book of Ecclesiastes uh, it would be a random text to choose you know if, if I was just picking text from all over the Bible but we are working through the book of Ecclesiastes right now and this section I don't know whether you notice it as I read it it is like a multi-layered sandwich a bit like a club sandwich and, and the two bits of bread on either side is um, warning us about godless consumption. And the bit of meat in the middle is encouraging us towards godly contentment. That's, that's what we've got here. And so let's consider the teacher's warning first about godless consumption. The first thing he wants to tell us is that godless consumption never satisfies. Did you see that back in chapter 5 verse 10? Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. See, when our heart is set on loving wealth, it is a fruitless search. We will always want a bit more. You'd have thought if you'd had over three million dollars of investable money, that would be enough. But it's not. 
probably double it and we might just be there. 7.5 million and we should be okay. But guess what? When you get to 7.5 million, you start getting magazines uh, that are only for millionaires. And uh, you, you can't buy these in regular shops. There's no good us looking at these, these mere mortals. But in these magazines, you can learn about there's a whole bunch of new experiences you can have. There's a whole bunch of new things that you could buy. And suddenly, seven and a half million doesn't quite cut it. The, the person who loves money is never satisfied. I mean, why fly uh, economy when you can fly business? But then why fly business when you can fly, you can fly first class? And why fly first class if you can buy your own jet? But why fly in a small jet if you can buy a big jet? Do you see? You're never satisfied. Earlier this year, we had the spectacle of one Russian billionaire taking another Russian billionaire to the law courts because he claimed that some of those billions belonged to him and he was being cheated. He, was, he just had a few billion and he could have more billion. Do you see, we are never satisfied. If you love wealth, you've never got enough. Godless consumption not only never satisfies, but it, it causes harm. It harms the poor. Uh, look at verse 8 of chapter 5. See, those who pursue conspicuous consumption will end up oppressing the poor. Verse 8, if you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. You know, it could be direct. It could be just through the power of economic um, wealth, uh, that the, the, the people who work the land, the people who make the gadgets are squeezed so tight that they hardly make any money, scratch through, while the, the company itself is making billions. And there are claims uh, in the newspapers of, of what conditions those who are making the iPhones are experiencing. It sounds pretty rough. Apple can make billions. People making the product can have very little. Poverty can be institutional, and uh, the, 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 the teacher warns us about that. Uh, the officials eyeing each other is basically those in power keeping an eye on each other to make sure that they retain the wealth and the privilege that they have. This is what the teacher sees. Don't be surprised, says the teacher, when rights are denied when justice is denied and the poor are pressed, because this is the inevitable outcome of people pursuing godless consumption. It harms the poor and it harms the consumer. Do you see that? What, is, what benefit, verse 11, does the consumer get from all his pursuit of wealth? Well, verse 11, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. The more possessions you have, guess what? The more people you're going to need to help you out. Uh, well, you know, if you've if you've got a, a, a really large garden, you know, you might need to hire a gardener. Maybe you need to have somebody to keep an eye on all those holiday homes that you have around the world. And, and you need house cleaners and domestic help. You need someone to manage those properties. Uh, financial advisors to help you out and take their cut. Lawyers who will be more than keen to help you out. Um, somewhere to store your boat in the winter. Uh, the rich do not lack for people willing to offer a bit of service for a reasonable fee. And of course, the tax man wants his share as well. What benefit does the owner have for all these possessions? Well, verse 11, he gets to feast his eyes on them. 
he doesn't have time to use them all actually so all he can do is really look at them go oh yes I've got that but the thing about the really wealthy person who loves wealth and is living for his wealth is he doesn't sleep very well do you notice that verse 12 the sleep of a laborer is sweet whether he eats little or much but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep well why is that well, by and large, the wealthy person doesn't have to do much physical work uh, to get through the day. Like the laborer who goes to bed exhausted uh, by their effort, well, he's not like them. Instead, he's sort of wide awake at night, wondering whether he's going to lose his possessions, lose his money, whether his investments will, will come to nothing. Have you noticed that? The more valuable the thing is you possess the more you worry about it have you noticed that I've got a I finally bought a really beautiful guitar I love this guitar it's gorgeous but when it came to going down south with it I didn't want to take it I didn't want to leave it in the car it could get stolen so I love this guitar but I don't want to take it with me it's a bit crazy that isn't it I mean, I mean if you if you basically can only afford a banger a second hand car that's just you know looking a bit past his sell-by date you don't care if, if, if somebody smashes the window and breaks in or steals it you might actually might be pleased about it you might, the insurance might be worth more than the car you're praying Lord may somebody take my car but if you've bought a really nice car well be extra careful when you're parking in the car park certain places you won't park that car just in case somebody with a bit of envy starts scraping the sides the problem with very valuable possessions is they possess us. That's why the abundance of the rich man permits him no sleep. It was a few weeks ago, wasn't it, where we had a, uh, the, the English football team who uh, basically are made up of players who are paid incredible amounts of money. They didn't perform very well because they had sleep problems. Did you notice that? They have to take caffeine tablets the day before they play a game because they're so sleepy. Staying awake at night worrying about their investments maybe and how the game's going, I don't know. And then the game got postponed. And so then they had to take sleeping tablets to try and get to sleep. And that's why they didn't play very well. Well, the teacher has seen it all in his day and it's just as true today. And this is why the Apostle Paul warns us. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs and the Lord Jesus warned his disciples saying watch out be on your guard against all kinds of greed a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions and to underscore that, he told the parable of the rich fools. Remember that? The man who had a fantastic year, had so many crops, thought, what am I going to do? I'll build bigger barns, I'll, I'll, I'll store up all my crops, and then I'll be able to take it easy for a few years. Just sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him this, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it'll be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God, says Jesus. Godless consumption never satisfies, it causes harm, and it is 
ultimately under God's curse. And the teacher of Ecclesiastes, he gives us kind of two stories, two sketches of two men who are not enjoying life. And he says it's a grievous evil. It's a sickening evil. So in chapter 5, he tells us about a man who hoarded his wealth, but then through some misfortune, lost it all, so he had nothing to pass on to his son when he died. And then comes the proverb of verse 15. Naked, a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor he can carry in his hands. Does that remind you of anything? Remember Job? Job experienced all that loss. He said something similar, but a bit different. He said this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Here was a wealthy man who was a godly man and a God-centered man. Now That's different to the man we have here in Ecclesiastes 5. See, what's the response of that man to his loss? Well, verse 16, it's a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain as he tolls for the wind? This is what he's doing all his days. Verse 17, he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Here's a man who had it all, hoarded it up, lost it all, and he spends the rest of his life with bitterness, with anger, and resentment. And then in chapter 6, he tells us about another man. 6 verse 1, I've seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on men. This is a man now who's got everything. He's got wealth and possessions and honor. He lacks nothing that his heart desires. Anything a man would, would love to have, he's got it. Nightmare to buy for a Christmas. He's got it all. And yet, God does not enable him to enjoy what he's got his heart lacks for nothing except joy and the teacher says well you know what if he had a hundred children but he doesn't have the capacity to enjoy prosperity then he's no better off than a child who dies in the womb now that is a shocking statement isn't it Uh, the first funeral I had to do um, as an assistant pastor was of a, a child who died in childbirth. I'll, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget that little box. And um, it's, a, it's a tragic thing. And yet the teacher of Ecclesiastes believes there is a greater tragedy than that. And that is to go through life and not enjoy it. It's to go through life and never enjoy life. That is the tragedy. And in both stories, one person who hoarded wealth and lost it, the one who remained wealthy but couldn't enjoy it, these are greater tragedies, he says. To live in God's world and receive so many of his gifts without enjoying life is a terrible curse. And the Bible says it is because of our spiritual rebellion against God. It is because of our sin uh, that we live in the world that we see around us where we grab the gifts and reject the giver and the evidence of living in a sin-cursed world and the God's judgment is that while we experience so many physical and material blessings we struggle to find joy I don't know whether you saw the three-part documentary about life in India that was on television 
And it portrayed some real stories of these people living in absolute poverty. I was struck by both their relentless joy and optimism, but also the unbelievable conditions that they were living in. And the truth is that every one of us in this room, compared to these people, we live like kings. We live like kings. And yet, in this country, uh, the doctors keep prescribing more pills for anxiety and depression. The rates go up and up and up, despite all our material prosperity. Our children have never had more toys to play with. And yet they still go around the house saying, I'm bored. I'm bored. This is the meaningless world that the teacher saw in his day. And it is a world of godless consumption that we see today. We're in a consumer society where we never seem satisfied with what we've got. It's causing harm to others and to ourselves. And we are loaded with possessions, but we do not possess joy. And the teacher wants us to face facts. Look at the world as it is. And having realized that this is a sickly world, that this godless consumption is really doing none of us any good whatsoever, he says, now look, there is another approach to life. And so we've, we've looked at the bits of bread either side. Now let's look at the meat in the middle. And the other way to go through life is with godly contentment, enjoying God's daily gifts. Look back at chapter 5 and verse 18. Then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life that God has given him for this is his lot so what the teacher tells us is instead of pursuing wealth the good and proper thing to do is to enjoy God's daily gifts of food and drink and any satisfaction you can find in your work instead of endlessly grabbing for more we should be the godly person who accepts our God-given situation and humbly receives daily blessings from God. And this can be equally true of the rich person, the wealthy person. Look at verse 19. Moreover, uh, maybe perhaps God has given you lots of possessions and wealth. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift from God. That we can find daily enjoyment um, in, in, in the stuff of life is a gift of God. Do you realize that? Even your capacity to enjoy daily things, that is a wonderful gift from God that he gives us. The person who lives with godly contentment holds lightly to wealth and possessions. And it's not for them that they're living, but they're living for the God who gives those gifts. And that's the true root of contentment when our joy is in him so Paul told um, Timothy to instruct the, re- the wealthy in his congregation in this way command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain 
but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. What an amazing God we have. What is the blessed result of godly contentment? Well, there it is in verse 20. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. Instead of brooding over the limited number of days that we have, God preoccupies our hearts with joy. That's the key to godly contentment. Not to focus on what you do not have, but to focus on thanking God for what he has given you in his daily gifts and blessings. Instead of pursuing wealth, to actually pursue Christ, who made all this stuff and who holds it all together and who will one day be the returning king. We should focus on him. This is what Jesus told his disciples, didn't he? Do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, Jesus says, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If you want to be an ambitious goal-getter, be ambitious for the kingdom of God. I hope that we will raise up many godly entrepreneurs who want to think big thoughts for seeing the kingdom of God grow and expand because they're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Your father knows you need all the other stuff. He knows that. Don't, don't, don't obsess about going for more clothes and more food and more this and more that. Pursue his kingdom and he'll, he'll take care of the other stuff as well. And to the crowds who were sort of starting to focus on receiving miraculous bread from Jesus in John's gospel, he says this, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. See, the focus is on the Son of Man who gives, who is the living bread who's come down from heaven. The sign of false teachers is that they're obsessed with money. I saw a report of this past week of a Nigerian uh, pastor coming to the UK. He's flying in on his personal jet. He's made a fortune, about 94 million, from the giving of his churches. And the promise really has been, if you give to the ministry, you'll become rich and your diseases will be cured. And they haven't seemed to wise up to the fact that he's the guy flying the jet, his own jet, one of two jets. He's the guy driving the Rolls-Royce Phantom. You know, the, 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 the warning of the love of money is primarily made to the pastor. It's the pastors who have to be warned not to follow the money. Go back to 1 Timothy. We actually read it earlier in our service. You'll find it on page 1194. So in chapter 6, it warns us about those who teach false doctrines. And then verse 5, here's one of the marks. There's constant friction between men of corrupt minds 
who've been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. And this is where we get this encouragement, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. It's a good word for your lead pastor and the pastoral team at Charlotte Chapel. It's a good word for every member of this church. Instead of the love of money, flee from that and pursue Christ and His kingdom and His righteousness. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. He knows we need the other stuff. How foolish to live for the other stuff. So what are you, what are you going to focus on this week? What's the goal of this week ahead? Here we start, first, first day of the week. As you head into this week, what, what are your big goals? Why are you going to engage in work this week? What is it you're going after? Ecclesiastes warns us, if it is about pursuing money, it is an empty, fruitless search. If you're going into this week just to make some more money and get some more possessions, you will never be satisfied. You'll cause yourself harm. You'll cause others harm. It'll cause you vexation, sickness. It'll not be good for you. What a waste of time to pursue money this week. Little Noah, James, Mike Adam, what a name. He came out with nothing. We hope he'll have a long life and he'll leave with nothing. That's the reality. So why focus on that stuff? Instead of pursuing money and wealth, we can instead enjoy God's daily gifts. Be thankful for the blessings that you will be enriched by every single day this week because God is such a loving, caring Father. You know, as Christians, we will always have reasons for joy because we know that this our loving Father gave His greatest gift, His one and only Son, who came into this world to save godless consumers, idol worshippers like me, like you. He sent his son to die on a cross to forgive us and bring us into his family. What an amazing gift. That's why Paul says in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We have always reasons for joy in the Lord. But on top of that, and we saw the stories of the, the, that child Elizabeth in, in um, where was she? Well done. for uh, Nicaragua. Was that right? Guatemala. That's good. That's close by. I see a man from Chile back there. Um, had so little. We have so much compared to her, do we not? Christ and all these blessings. 
So what are you going to do this week? Can I urge you to take a tangible step this week in response to God's word? Would you aim to reclaim giving thanks for your food this week? The truth is that we all fall into some ruts, don't we? And there's probably a rut of words that we all use. And it's good that we acknowledge God. But why not aim this week, every day this week, to jump out of that rut of giving thanks, those normal words that you say. And just pause for a moment on your own or with family and just think, you can even think aloud together. What are some of the blessings you've enjoyed from God this day? Just meditate on, think about them. A warm bed, close. There's food on the table, getting colder, so don't spend too long. Think about those blessings. And then with a sincere and glad heart, praise this God who gives us so much. Would you do that every day this week? Reclaim this, respond to God's word. Godless consumption is meaningless. Godly contentment. And you can be preoccupied with the joy of knowing God every day of your life. Let's pray.